to us this morning, so come, Chris. Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Jim seems a bit more out here than usual. You've lost your top. You've lost your back there, Jim. Your top off. Yeah. We're, wait we're waiting for the front to come off as well, you know, but that's great. Lovely. I'm amazed Rob's here today. It was Saturday a week ago that we were doing our walk on Dartmoor, and Rob was considerate enough. For those who wanted to only go halfway, he said, I'm going to make sure they get back safely. And sacrificially, he went all the way back down to make sure they got there safely. And went off to the uh, Borough Tour Inn, and when we turned up, the summer tears turned up an hour later, and there he was watching the lionesses do their... Uh, uh, <laughs> and all he said to me was, it's like watching the men's football, only better. <laughs> so, uh, sacrificial there, Rob, that you should be here today. Thank you, thank you. But, um, yeah, there we are. So, this is continuing in the... Uh, whole series of Anchored In that Steve has uh, asked us to look at, and today it's Anchored In Power, Anchored In Power. And, um, and when I started looking at this, um, I just got more and more this impression of how important this is. So let's just come with a word of prayer as we seek God in his word. Loving Father, we thank and praise you this morning. We want to abide in you, Lord. We want to be in that place where we receive from you. We pray, Lord, that you will empower our lives. We pray you will lift us, Lord, out of the earthly and into the heavenly. Give us your touch, your blessing, we pray. And Lord, just give us ears to hear of all that you're saying through your word this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anchored in power. Now, the Christian life, it is more than trying to follow a set of values or a set of rules. I'm always struck. There's um, uh, somebody who was the... Um, chair of governors, a Christian who was chair of governors of Elberton Primary School. And the year six teacher decided that they would like to hot seat a Christian believer so that their class could ask questions of them. So they invited this chap in, who happened to be a Baptist minister, put him in a seat, and, and the children fired questions at him. Well, what does it mean that you've got a faith, that you're a Christian? How do you read the Bible? What difference does it make for you? And, and, and they just fired questions. And then the teacher of this year six class thought, oh, well, maybe next week I better invite a Muslim in. And so they invited a Muslim to come, and they hot-seated the Muslim at the front of the uh, church, and, and they fired the year six children, fired questions at the Muslim, and, and they got their answers back. The following week, the year six teacher asked them to say what they'd learned from it. And what they said was this, I found it fascinating. They said, when we heard from the Christian, we heard about relationship. When we heard from the Muslim, we heard about rules. What a difference relationship, a relationship where God's presence is in our lives, giving us so much more than a set of rules. Christianity is not following rules or standards of living or values or rituals or even good works. It is being anchored in God's power. It is not just important. It is not just essential. It is an imperative. And that's my first point today, that it is the imperative of living in the power of God. Uh, Jesus was crucified in death, but resurrected back to life. 
And in Philippians 3.10, it says this, that I may, Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. How well do you think we'll get on in the fellowship of his sufferings if we don't know the power of his resurrection? Is that helpful to one to feed into the other? I think it is. Um, and uh, uh, there's a verse in the Corinthian church, which Paul was writing to, and he says, I want to come and see you because I've been hearing things about you. And we know the Corinthian church needed correction in certain ways. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 4, 19 and 20, he's saying, well, I want to come to you, but I don't want to hear puffed up, arrogant words. He said in verse 20, it's the kingdom of God is not arrogant, puffed up words, but in power. Because that's the Christian life. And the reason is this. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. You cannot live an impossible Christian life unless it was with a God for whom nothing is impossible. How are we supposed to resist the devil, the world, the flesh, unless we're living in the power of God. I'd like to look at this subject this morning through the life of Elijah. And um, so I'm going to start in, in 1 Kings chapter 16. We can put that up, 1 Kings 16. This is the end of the chapter, and, and it comes to us like this. Certain bits I've put in yellow, so maybe take just a bit more notice. We'll go back and visit some of those. Now Ahab became king of Israel and did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And he took his wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image and did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his day, Hyle of Bethel built Jericho. Well, Hyle of Bethel built Jericho, but actually Jericho had been, should say rebuilt. Jericho had been destroyed, hadn't it? At the praises of God, the walls had fallen down. And at the end of that, Joshua had said, Joshua 6.26, Joshua charged them saying, Cursed be the man who raises up and builds the city of Jericho. Its foundation shall be laid with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up the gates. Well, Hyle went ahead, and in the evil days of Ahab, King Ahab, he rebuilt Jericho. And duly, his firstborn, named Abriam, died as its foundations were being laid, and his youngest, called Segub, died as the gates were being put on. At the beginning, at the end, you start with foundations, you build the walls, you finish by putting gates in. At the beginning and the end, the curse of God fell, because this was in a time of evil King Ahab, who had married Jezebel. Jezebel is a name that rings down through the centuries of the Bible, turns up again in Revelation, the great whore of Revelation, Jezebel. And so it, it doesn't come with good things about it. And we read there that she was the daughter of Ethbaal. Now, this was at the time when they worshipped Baal. They built a temple, an altar to Baal. They sacrificed to him, made a wooden image, did more to provoke God to anger. Ethbaal. It was in Father the King's name. Ethbaal means with Baal. That was the king and the palace that she was brought up in. The king 
who was with Baal. And she was brought up as a princess in that. She married Ahab, and Ahab got on board. Wrong choice. Bad marriage. It can happen, can't it? Wrong choice. Bad marriage. He was, if he wasn't before, he was seriously led astray as he built this temple and worshipped Baal. Baal, a pagan god, was as bad as it comes. To Baal in the temple was ritualistic prostitution. To Baal in the temple were offered child sacrifices through fire. How awesome that parents should be convinced that they should take their young child and offer it to a wooden image with a, with, with a burning fire in front of him and to offer their child to try and appease this God. It was as bad as it could get. And what's more, it had taken over the kingdom because, because Ahab ruled with Jezebel there, just providing and moving him on into this, into this. What's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments that God gave? These Ten Commandments whereby he put in place that order of life that Israel should be led by. The first thing it says, Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He is jealous for our love. He created us. He saved us. He gave his son for us. He's brought us into life. And he is jealous for our love. He does not want it to be given to another. A false good, a false hope, a false ambition. All of these things are a falsehood compared to the glory of giving that worship back to the God of creation. Our God is a jealous God. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad jealousy. It's a good thing. We are jealous for love. We are jealous for the love of our spouse. We are jealous for the love of our children. We are jealous for those good, right relationships where we feel and give love. And God is a jealous God and wants our love. So, that's how chapter 16 closes. But as it opens up in 1 Kings 17, there's a new kid on the block. And he's called Elijah. We'll have the next bit. Elijah, you're ahead of me. You're doing so well. Um, Elijah opens up like this. Elisha the Tishbite said to Ahab, as the Lord of Gozrael, God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, here was Elijah. What I'm going to look at a little bit, quite a lot today, is the meaning of names. Because in the Bible, they're always important, the meaning of names. And here was a man who was called Elijah. Well, El is one of the names of God. We can think of El Shaddai and Elohim and the names of God. El is one of the names of God. And it's the name of God which says, Lord God Almighty. It is about the power and strength of God. Lord God Almighty in El. And so many of our names contain the letters E-L. Elizabeth means my God of my promise. Or it may be at the end of a letter, Michael, Daniel. Um, Daniel, God is my judge. Michael, gift of God. Angel, messenger of God. Emmanuel, God is with us. So L has this meaning of the God, Lord God Almighty of power and might. Elijah, which is uh, basically the full name is the Lord God Almighty is my God. That was the Elijah that got up at this time. 450 um, prophets of Baal, a God, 
a prophet of, of God who says, the Lord God Almighty is my God. He was going to set up a competition. Was it? It's no competition at all, actually, if you know the story. But we'll look at it. We'll go through it. And so Elijah, he knew his God, but he also knew God's word. And in Daniel 11, sorry, I didn't mean that. I meant in Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17, when God was giving the laws for how they should live, it says this. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord, Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord your God is giving you. Serve other gods, and he will close up the heavens." Do you know that's true for us as well? If we feel the heavens are as brass, that our prayers are bouncing back at us, that uh, there's no rain of blessing falling, it could be that we've looked in the wrong direction. But he knew his God and he knew God's word. And that's what he was standing on. That if you turn aside to other gods, I'll close up the heavens and the land will produce no yield for you. So Elijah, who knew the word of God, but also the power of God had spoken out over the kingdom to the king. It's, it's faith speaking to power, speaking to authority in the land. Actually, Ahab had no power, but he did have authority. He was the king. He ruled, and he spoke to that authority, and that's something that Christians also need to do. But as he spoke out to Ahab, he had ignited something. It's not going to rain in this land until I say so because I've read God's word. And that's what, he, that's what moved him. That's why he had faith to do and to say this. And so he set up a battle. He had in, initiated a battle with Ahab uh, somewhere down the line. He had lit a fuse which was going to bring together a clash, a clash of this Baal and the Lord, my Lord God Almighty, and it would need the power of God. He had ignited that fuse. But as this story goes on, we'll look at our next teaching point, which is that there's a preparation for power. There's a preparation for power that actually um, even Elijah had to go through a journey to get into that place where three and a half later, years later, he would be in the place that he needed to be. I want to remind you of James and John, followers of Jesus, the sons of thunder, um, sometimes the disciples were told, could you go ahead to a village and just get things ready for the disciples to come and somewhere where they can rest and feed and that. And, and James and John had gone on in Luke chapter 9 and they had gone to an unhelpful village who did not want to be hospitable towards Jesus and his disciples. So they came back to Jesus and they said this, Shall we call down fire upon them and destroy this village that wasn't there to help us? And Jesus said, no, I haven't come to destroy life. I've come to save it. So his power that he was going to use wasn't the power of Sodom and Gomorrah and wiping it off the face of the earth with a fire falling from heaven. 
It was going to be a power to save. That was Jesus' answer. So James and John had this feeling, oh, we're disciples of Jesus. He's given us power. You know, we've been sent out healing, and we've t- and demons have gone at our name, and now we can just call down the fires of heaven, and it will wipe out that village. No. No. You haven't yet learned, and they would not yet learn. They had to be with Jesus three and a half years before they would find that they were in the right place to invest the power of God and be trusted with it. There is preparation for power, and James and John still had some preparing to do. I was thinking of this, and I was thinking of when um, I got saved when I was 18 years old uh, as a young Christian, and I was in a sixth form college, so it was just two year groups doing A-levels. I was near the end of the course, actually. And, um, and I got saved in the April. I was going to finish in the June or so, June or July. Um, but I, when I got saved, there was a group of people that you could always meet up with. Every time there was uh, a break time, you could go out and there was the playing field, and you'd see somewhere a little group sat together and someone had a guitar, playing the guitar, singing praises, and I thought, there's the Christians, and, and, and we get together. And I cannot tell you the sense of the power of God that these teenage believers had. I don't know if any of you have experienced that, but teenage believers, when they've discovered God, they're, they're just walking in power. And, um, uh, and it, it was incredible. It was mighty. Some of the people and some of the things that were there. But there was also evidence of misappropriation and use of a sense of power. I remember one young chap who, who would say to the group, oh, have you ever hit the traffic lights at 30 miles an hour when it's red, knowing that God's in charge of time and he'll change the traffic lights for you. Now, does that sound like faith or stupidity? But, but you know, that, that's the sort of things that these young Christians would say. I've got power over the traffic lights because I'm in God. I've got power over this. And there was a great sense of power amongst these young Christians. And, and, and we, we sort of shared that together. And... Um, and I can remember I was, I was cycling. I used to go on a train journey and cycle to the station. And I was cycling there one morning. And, um, and I saw, get there, I can hardly, but I've never told anybody this before. I saw a dead seagull in the side of the road. And I thought, ooh, I wonder if I can resurrect the seagull. <laughs> and, I, and I stopped and I looked at this seagull and I thought, well, should I or shouldn't I? And I, ooh, and I, you know, well, well. Lay hands on the seagull, pray for it to be resurrected. I've got the power of God. Well, it was still there. <laughs> and I carried on to school and, uh, and, and really forgot about it much during the day. Um, but I don't know, was this moving in power of God or what? There's a preparation for power. There's a preparation. So we're going to carry on in this wonderful story with the next uh, bit of uh, 1 Kings 17, 2 to 4, and it says this. I mean, here was Elijah. He'd put out this thing. Rain's not going to happen until I say so. Ahab, so get that. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will shall be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Well, there we go. That was the first thing. Get out of here. You've said this to the king. Don't, don't stay there in front. Of, just move away. Go eastward because there's things for you to learn. So he was directed to the brook Cherith. Well, I wanted to look up the meaning of this brook Cherith uh, and what it was here. 
because it actually means cutting away, cutting away. And there is a time which every Christian, after their salvation, has to go through of cutting away. If we think of some of the words of Paul, he said in Romans 7:18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells nothing good. He said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now, I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he said, my old man is crucified. Our old man is crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with. One thing we talk about as believers and as Christians and as seeking God is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? We want to be filled with God. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we want to be filled, does it matter what stuff is in the container of our lives already? Could we be filled if we have all sorts of rubbish there in our life? No, we couldn't. There's pride, there's ambitions, there's self-will, there's self-determination, which all has to be emptied out if we are ever going to be filled. I mean, David said, I feel like I'm being poured out. He wanted to be poured out of all that self-stuff because he wanted the Holy Spirit to fill and it's a lesson for us that there is a cutting away. And in my life, I had to go through a cutting away. And in Elijah's life, there did as well. Cutting away. Um, and so certain things in my sort of power-struck, young enthusiasm of Christianity had to be cut away before I could be prepared and ready and be trusted with any of the power of God. That's what I can say was my experience. Well... One of the things he had to learn, as he, as he had self cut away, Elijah, the time is not right. Elijah, you are not ready. There's a preparation to go. And during that time, you're going to find out about Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? The Lord provides. It was the name of God given to Abraham when he was going to slay his son Isaac. And God stayed his hand and said, there's a ram caught in the thicket. God's provided that. The Lord will provide. Well, what was the provision? It was that ravens would come and feed him and he could drink from the book Cherith. Now, it hadn't quite been written, but I think he had an inkling of one of the verses that Noel read us earlier. You read us Psalm 33, Noel. And verse 18 says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death, and to keep them alive in famine. There may be famine around, but you're God's child. And you are watched over. And, and God says, I'll keep you alive in famine. And something of, of um, Elijah was learning this as he was by the brook Cherith. Now, I did look up about ravens, because the ravens were going to feed him. And I found out, found out that ravens like to eat small mammals, nesting birds eggs and berries, but by far their favorite is decaying biomass, such as dead flesh or decomposing plants. And so I can imagine Elijah being there every morning, mm, what's for breakfast this morning, ravens? And, and he'd wait on the delicious thing that would be brought to him. And I don't know which of that it was, but that's what ravens eat. And he was going to be fed by the ravens. And so it carried on. Jehovah Jireh, every morning, every evening, God provides. Praise you, Lord. I'm here. I'm waiting. 
you are good, despite the uh, decaying biomass. But eventually the book dried up, and uh, Elijah had to go on the next step of his preparation journey. So in the next step, we pick it up in verses 8 and 9, and it says this, uh, when the book had dried up, the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And I can imagine Elijah thinking, oh, a widow to provide for me. That might taste better than the raven food. Um, quite up for that, Lord. I'm going to go to Zarephath. Zarephath, he had gone east to the brook. Zarephath was to the west. Sidon is on the west coast of Israel in Samaria. And actually, um, Ethbaal, the king that we'd learned about, king father of Jezebel, was king of Sidonia, based in Sidon, where the temple of Baal was. He was being taken to the heart of the enemy camp. I wonder if you've ever felt in the heart of the enemy camp because that's where he was going. But he trusted God and he went to find this widow who's going to provide for his needs. Maybe some rich widow who's going to provide all my needs. And he traveled there to Sidon. And as he got there and he got to the gates of the city, there was a widow who was collecting food. So he found her collecting sticks. Sorry, I said collecting food. I mean collecting firewood to make food. And so he went and he said, have you got just a cup of water? He wasn't demanding. Have you got a cup of water I could have? Have you got a morsel of bread I could have? And she said, well, well no. I've got a tiny bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm collecting firewood that I might make them up. And then me and my son will eat them and then die. It was not a hopeful outlook. That was the widow that he'd been taken to. But interestingly, the widow greets him in verse 12 saying this. She said, as the Lord your God lives, I've only got a little bit of flour. I've only got a little bit of oil. As the Lord your... What did she recognize in Elijah? What did she recognize about the presence of God in this man's life? As the Lord your God lives, I'm just ready to die. But she heeded him and she listened to him. And Elijah replaced her fear with faith. And he said, first make me a small cake. Then you, when you, when I've done that, then you and your son eat. And, and God's assuring me the bin of flour will not run out and the jar of oil will not run out until the Lord sends rain. And there was this ongoing miraculous provision which happened. Um, and so um, she went and she cooked and there was the miraculous uh, jar of uh, of flour, uh, flour um, that did not cease. The bin of flour kept on supplying. The jar of oil kept on supplying. On and on and on it went. What, should, what, what grew in her? Do you know, when God is blessing you, he blesses those around you. Because God was blessing this man who was saying, the Lord your God lives, he blessed the widow who was there supplying his need. He will bless those around you. And this miraculous provision went on. What does Zarephath mean? I told you I was into meanings of names. It means smelting place. Smelting place. It's where fires were lit to refine silver and gold. And as the fires were lit and the furnace was there and it heated up the silver or the gold, the dross and mess muck comes to the top and is swept away 
to leave that which is pure below, the smelting place. Elijah had to go further than Cherith. He was emptied out and cut back of self. He was filled with the Spirit of God. The Lord, as the Lord your God lives, is what, is what this w widow recognized. But there was a refining to carry on taking place. And as God showed through his miraculous provision that he could not only supply for him, but also this widow and his son, the, 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 the outcome of this of trial and supply and testing went on and he was being refined. God had to refine me. God has to refine you because it's part of that preparation. But there was more trial to come. And as it goes on, we find out that the son died. And the widow, and she'd been living for this son, was bereft. And her son had died, and she turned to Elijah, and she said, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? How have you come to bring my sin to remembrance? This woman, this widow, had a past. And deep lurking in that past was a place of lost sinfulness. And as she saw the holiness of Elijah, and her son had died, she's left there thinking, is this God's judgment upon me? Has he taken my son to me because of that sin that I did all those years ago? Well, what we can know, if we've got any thoughts like that, or we may have in our lives, is we've got a wonderful God who gives us a wonderful thing called repentance and renewal and wipes us clean slate for us, wipes those things away. And, and he had to learn that and she had to learn that. And so we go on to read how Elijah took the son, carried him upstairs to his room, put him on his own bed, laid him there and prayed and said, oh Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And he did it three times over him and, uh, and the soul of the child did come back to him. He revived and Elijah took the child downstairs from the upper room and gave him back to his mother. See, Elijah said, your son lives. There is a trial of tragedy. There is a place of adversity. We can learn things in the victory and in the blessing, and that's all very wonderful and lovely to be in. But there are things that we learn, like tenacity of faith, like keeping hold of God, like, uh, like uh, really pressing through, that we only learn in the hard times, in the valley of the shadow of death. But as we go through that, we find beyond that, when we've trusted through that, is a table prepared in the presence of my enemies, which is overflowing with the goodness of God. There is trials along the way, and we have experienced that, but it was preparing Elijah in the place of smelting, being refined. And as it got to the end of that, and we can click up the next verse, which says, the woman said to Elijah, now by this, a resurrected son, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of God in your mouth is the truth. She wasn't going to... Now, this is building Elijah up. This is, this is showing him in the... I'm, I'm going to say the small way because it was only one person that he raised up in a very private little thing. But, but nevertheless, he saw... The this happens. Wasn't it David who overcame a lion and a bear and it gave him confidence in God to overcome a giant called Goliath? You know, this is part of the building of faith and preparation that goes on. And so, there's lovely verses about this. Zechariah 13, 9. I will bring you through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. 
They will call my name and I will answer them and say, they are my people and the, they will say, the Lord is my God. So the testing of refining is part of that thing because trial produces character in God. Now, there was also a trial of waiting because it goes on to say that many, many days passed. We know it was three and a half years. And some of us will be in a trial of waiting. Lord, I've prayed for this. Did I hear 28 years? There's, a, there's, there's, been a, there's trials of waiting for that answer. And in those times of waiting, it can be that we hear Satan whispering to us and saying to us, God's forgotten you. Your prayers aren't heard. You're not in a right place. He can, he can send all these defeating words. But waiting is part of the preparation. And God says, I'm just preparing everything for you. You are in the birthplace of promise. Wait for that right time and that right place. And so my final point is that it became time for power. And as we step into chapter 18, the time has come. Elijah is ready, so we're going to see things happen. And it opens up in verse 1. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on earth. The time of promise had come. He was moving in the will of God. He was always motivated by the word of God as he'd found it in Deuteronomy. He'd been prepared for God and now God was speaking into his situation. Next one, verses 17, 19. Then it happened when Ahab, I love this bit, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. He might say his father-in-law's house has as well, but hey. Um, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal. And then he turned to the Israel people and he basically said, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? How long? If God's God, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. We're going to have a contest. We're going to ask for the power of God to sort this out. Stop flip-flopping around and sort yourself out the direction in which you're going. Doubt your doubts. Believe your promises. Go forth in God. That's what he was asking of them. And so that's what happened. Next verse is uh, where it says, he, he, he declared, Give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. I'll do the same with a bull, and lay it on wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call upon the name of your God's Baal, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. He had initiated the contest. He had lit the fuse that had been lit that time ago. Well, it had sort of burned down until it was that much from the, from the Big Bang. Did you know that the word power... In the, in the Bible is the word uh, dyna, dynamus, from which we get dynamo and dynamic and dynamite. <laughs> well, a spiritual dynamite hour was coming because the fuse had nearly got to the end of it. I'm sure we probably, most of us know the story. But as it goes on, these 450 called upon the name of the Baal, 
From morning until noon, they called upon it, and they shouted louder and louder. And Elijah, Elijah says he mocked them, and he says, well, shout louder. Maybe Baal's meditating. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's gone on a journey. One, one commentary said that if you look into that, it means he's gone for, gone for the toilet. Um, and so uh, Elijah was really laying it onto them here. I think he's gone for a wee because that's why he's not hearing you. He's taking a long time over there. And it says that they cut themselves and bled because they wanted Baal to take notice of them, but no answer came. And so it carried on, and it came to the time of evening. And Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And they came near, and it says he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. If we want power in our lives, sometimes there is an altar of the Lord that needs to be repaired. Because that's what will bring God into a right place. I just want to take note of there. But he did repair the altar of the Lord with the stones and the wood and the prepared bull. And then he said, douse it with water. And they threw some over it. He said, douse it again. They threw more over it. He said, douse it a third time. They threw even more water over it until it was running all around it. And then, in verse 36, it says this. At the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, I'm your servant, and that I have done all these things according to your word. That this people may know, may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and burnt up the wood and burnt up the stones and burnt up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I cycled back at the end of my school day, wondering what had happened. And there was a dead seagull in the side of the road. Had I been moved by the word of God, like Elijah was in Deuteronomy chapter 11? Sorry, no. Had I been to the place Cherith of cutting away? Seriously not. God had all that work still to do in me of cutting away self and ambitions. And there were things that he just took out of his life, out of my life, wrong relationships, wrong aspirations, wrong job. You know, he's taken out uh, these things. Had I been to Zarephath, had I been in a place of refining where God was going to make me into the person he wanted to be, I hadn't been there yet. But oh boy, I did. It wasn't much longer and I hit trial after trial after trial. Uh, and, and I hated that place and I loathed it. And yet a few months later, when I found that everything that God removed from me, he replaced it so abundantly with himself that it was glorious. Anything we empty out of our self-life, God will fill in with something so much better. I was finding that out along the way. I've lost I've lost things, I've lost two careers along the way, one through incompetence and one through overload, you know, things happen, life happens, um, I used to be a twin, I had a twin sister, I've lost my twin sister six years ago, it, things happen, there's loss along the way, but I'll tell you this, there's things that I've never lost, I've never lost the presence of God, I've never lost the peace of God in my heart, but where the peace of God dwells and the presence of God comes, the power of God comes and we need to know that 
in our lives if we're going to go forth as believing Christians who are going to turn this world upside down as the disciples were accused of doing. It's not an optional extra. It's something we should be anchored into, that we are anchored into the power of God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.